So the theme for today's sermon is seeking the kingdom of God in everything we do and everything we encounter. The key scripture to keep in mind today, if you want to hold on to something, is Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what is the kingdom of God and what does it represent? Google defines the kingdom as a country, state or territory ruled by a king or queen. A realm associated with or under the control of a particular person or thing and the spiritual reign or authority of God. I'm quite glad that Google even acknowledges that a kingdom can represent spiritual reign and authority. Dictionary.com states a kingdom as being a state or government having a king or queen as its head, a realm or province of nature, that's being the animal, mineral or vegetable kingdom. I didn't even realise the vegetables had a kingdom, but <laughs> it looks like the Turks are represented. <laughs> the domain over which the spiritual sovereignty of God or Christ extends, whether in heaven or on earth. Again, this isn't a theological site, this is a very open, broad site, and yet they're acknowledging spiritual authority. The term kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven appears 73 times in the Gospels, according to the ESV Bible. 31 of these are in Matthew and 26 in Luke. Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven as he was a Jew, right into a Jewish audience, which, and the Jews did not like using God's name as they saw it as sacred. Jesus announced the presence and arrival of the kingdom throughout the Gospels, and it is a central theme of his teachings. His teachings referred more to a power, a reign or authority, rather than a physical place. As Jesus preached a lot about it, I would like us to explore it. The kingdom of God should be seen as the kingship, rule or sovereignty of God, here on earth where his will is adhered to. God's kingship had arrived in a new, more powerful way and was taking back authority which had been lost by man's sinful ways. John Piper notes God's kingdom as being the place where God's authority is in place. Most Christians would agree that on Christ's arrival on earth, a part of God's kingdom appeared on earth, and its full revelation will be put in place on his return. Jesus began his reign as king of God's kingdom. The kingdom does not equal the church, but the church was birthed from the kingdom. The church is the community of the kingdom, the saints throughout all ages over which God reigns, and they have demonstrated to the world the presence and authority of his kingdom. The kingdom of God is good. Only God is perfectly good, and his core concern is for the good of his creation. God's goodness is expressed throughout his kingdom. God is good to us for the good of others. The kingdom of God represents life, and those in it enjoy God's eternal life through his spirit. His people want to be in his kingdom and serve him. It's key that the people want to be in his kingdom and serve him. Now, I'm in the United Kingdom, as you are. Um, I hope most of you do know you're in the United Kingdom at this very point in time. Yes? As no one's saying anything back to me, I'm assuming you, you do know. Yes. And some of you are probably happy to be here, yeah? And some of you are probably not so happy to be here. You want to be in sunnier climates with the beach and a Malibu sling next to you. Yeah? No? You, you want to be here? All right, he did. 
Yeah, we, we'll be praying for you after service. Anyway, um, <laughs> God's kingdom is one of grace and forgiveness. All have entered into the kingdom through his grace, mercies, and forgiveness. We also must show his forgiveness and grace to others to encourage them to accept God's gracious gift of salvation and to be a part of his kingdom. Matthew 6, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. God's kingdom reflects his ambassadors. Those within his kingdom will share his good news and represent him in the world. They will try their utmost to build bridges for the kingdom, but foremost bring glory to God. Jesus was always kingdom-focused, and we must be the same. God's kingdom reflects how more of, his, of God's knowledge, presence, glory, and power is being manifested here on earth as it is in heaven. So this is a question then. Did the kingdom of God exist before Jesus? Yes. The kingship of God has existed even before creation. Matthew 25, verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom preached for you from the foundation of the world. Note the red text. So that's Jesus speaking. You can't challenge that. If Jesus said it, it's true. Three, how long will the kingdom of God last? Yeah. For all eternity... God's kingdom is advancing and grows bigger and stronger every day. It spans every generation, past, present, and future. Other kingdoms will come and go, but God's kingdom remains forever. Daniel 2, verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Anyone that knows, well, Daniel is a very rich book in prophecy. I mean, I've been exploring it to study for this, and I've only scratched the surface. And I know David's going to touch on some things in a few weeks' time as well. But Daniel predicted many things in the current time of his time period. And there was a, a dream that the king Nebuchadnezzar at that time had, where he saw himself, he saw a statue of something, and the top bit was gold, I can't remember, the, mid- the middle bit was iron, uh, silver, the middle bit was iron, the legs were iron, and then the feet became iron and clay. And he was predicting, he was prophesying about the four kingdoms that would come. Nebuchadnezzar's first kingdom, Pedmersian, Persian, Persian Mede, and then the Greeks, and then finally the Romans. But the mixed one, the iron and the clay, the clay is us. The clay is the kingdom of God coming out of the Roman Empire. Very rich. Read up on Daniel if you can. Who is the king? Jesus. The father sent Jesus to establish this new age of the kingdom of God, bringing his kinship on earth to begin overthrowing the ungodly authorities and principalities which had ruled for so long up to that point. Matthew 16 verse 19 states, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I know the context of that is Jesus talking to Peter about he's going to open the door for the Gentiles. But the Bible always reflects past, present, and future. And we can apply that to ourselves as well. We believe in the kingdom of God and we want it to advance. We have that authority. We can do this. 
we can bind things on earth as it is in heaven. We can bring God's authority here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus proclaimed the coming of God's kingdom. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And instructed his disciples to do the same in Luke 18, verses 8 to 9. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So again, the example, Jesus started it, the disciples continued it. And we as Jesus' current disciples need to do that as well. Jesus became king of God's kingdom at his death and resurrection. God the Father had given his son full authority to restore their creation. And Jesus will reign until everything has been put under his feet. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 24 to 28. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he's referencing God there, he's talking about God the Father. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. The kingdom of God is headed by a king who shows love, grace, mercies, and great patience for his subjects. I can testify to that. God is very patient. And I'm sure you can all testify of God's patience. He is not a king who says, off with their head every time we make a mistake. It may appear that you're running around like headless chickens, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He's very gracious. In God's kingdom, the king looks after and protects his subjects. He builds a fortress to protect those he calls and keeps them safe within it. Let me just give you a thing on that. If the king's castle is over there and you're over here, what's the obvious thing for you to do? I would go into the castle, especially when you've got the whole tribe or nation on your heels. You run to it as refuge. But we as believers, we don't do that sometimes. The castle's right there and we're out here saying, shoot at me. Shoot, shoot, shoot at me. Just, and we just don't when the castle is right there, common sense sometimes just goes straight out the window for some of us. But it is true. In God's kingdom, the king, yeah, we've done that. How does, the God's, how does God's kingdoms work? The kingdom is here and is yet to come. So what I'm saying is, it's current, but there's still more to come. And it manifests itself through the church. On Jesus' return, his complete authority and kingdom will reign over all creation, and a new heaven and earth will be put into place. Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel of Matthew covers many aspects of the kingdom of God. So these are the kingdom aspects that Matthew covers. He talks about kingdom living, used through the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, verse 1, to chapter 7, verse 29. And then there's the mission of the kingdom in chapter 10, the principles of the kingdom. Jesus spoke 
extensively on this in chapter 13 of Matthew. Parable after parable about the kingdom. And then the attitudes that we should have in the kingdom. These are essentially the top level, caring for and forgiving others in chapter 18. And then the kingdom perspective. You need to be aware of God's plan. And through that, through Jesus' return and final judgment, the two go together. God has a plan for creation and restoration, but it ends with Jesus' return. And if you don't get the context and you don't get all the the thing of that, you're going to miss out and your focus will not be right. Get the perspective. I've noted these here as time does not permit us to cover all of them. But take time to explore them. A quote from Seeking the Kingdom Bible Plan by T.M. Moore. Kingdom seeking begins in prayer and there won't be much kingdom finding in our lives if we're not. Prayer is a key way of seeking the kingdom. We should pray continuously and expectantly for more of his kingdom to break into ours and others' situations so it impacts our daily lives and activities. The Lord's Prayer shows us to ask for God's kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven. Ask God to make your prayers kingdom-focused for him. We are a kingdom set apart, but not a kingdom that excludes. Yeah? Do you understand that? God's kingdom isn't one that excludes. We may fight things, and we may not agree with some things, but we're not a kingdom that excludes. Jesus' teaching shows he only excluded those who would reject him. We must learn to live by our king's principles, who reign supremely through grace, mercy, compassion, and love. We must keep our focus on him, seeking his guidance, wisdom, encouragement, and empowerment. The kingdom of God is about reflecting the glory and the honor of God, striving to be more like Jesus, and needing to be more like him so we can glorify the Son. In God's kingdom, we bear one another's burdens. We do this out of love and care for one another, as Jesus commanded us to love one another. Galatians 6, verse 2. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ, that is, the law of Christian love. The kingdom of God shows God drawing a people to himself to love him and to love others. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, to change our hard hearts and guide us in how to do this and write his words on our hearts. Here is something I learned when I was at Malvern. So I was doing the evangelism module that we have to do, and they were talking about before and after. So the first, the top one, is the before. Uh, and that's what we were, outside the kingdom, and we didn't know Jesus. And we needed SOS. And we know from the, the, to- the tales of the Titanic, SOS stands for save our souls. But once you receive Jesus, you're inside the kingdom, and he becomes your Lord and King. You become STS, and that's save their souls. You see the difference in emphasis. That's about you, that's about others. Who is part of God's kingdom? God's kingdom consists of eternal priestly community of saints, past, present and future, all striving to glorify and uphold the glorious name of God. It comprises of people across the world and the ages who love, follow and obey God. I do love the bit about age, because I'm getting a I'm getting on now. But as I keep reading these stories in the Bible, when you look at the background, 
God doesn't call many young people. Yeah? David is one of the most famous examples. David and Samuel, what popped to mind. But when you start looking at, into it, Moses was an old man when he got called. Abraham was definitely over the hill when he got called. Even Daniel was in his 80s when he went into the lion's den. So there's hope for us yet, church. There is hope for us yet. Don't let your age limit what you can do for the kingdom. Matthew 13, verses 41 to 43. The Son of God will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, those kings by which people are led into sin, and all who practice evil, leading others into sin. And will throw them into the furnace of fire, in that place they will be weeping over sorrow and pain and grinding of teeth over distress and anger. Then the righteous, those who seek the will of God, will shine forth, radiating the new life, like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and heed my words. Those who are subjects of God's kingdom obey and respect his will, authority, teachings and commandments. They enjoy his protection, his blessings and provision, and also accept his correction and discipline. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. When you dwell and are a part of God's kingdom, you will need to take refuge in him. There are some who will not enter the kingdom of God unless they repent and turn away from, their, from these particular lifestyles. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 10. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who hate sex with men, or men who have sex with men, that would include women and women, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Only those God calls to be his children will become a part of his kingdom. You cannot buy your way in with money or works. You cannot bargain or negotiate with God on this. You must be called and accept his precious salvation and walk in his ways to be a part of his kingdom. Let me just stress there. You must be called. God will invite you. You can't kick down the door and say, God, I'm in the kingdom. It doesn't happen. Then you must accept his salvation. You must accept the grace that he's given for you. And then you've got to follow him. You've got to walk in his ways. Seven, what challenges will we face for the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God will be in conflict and opposing to the kingdoms in this world that are not under God's authority. This applies to the physical and the spiritual. When you give your life to Jesus, you get drafted into his army for his kingdom. Let me just clarify about what I mean by opposing kingdoms. God has overall authority. Yeah? No matter what happens, whatever authority is in power, in place, it's by God's authority. But God allows some authorities to reign for his purposes. Yeah? So there's no authority here on earth, or in the heavens, or below it, that is greater than God's authority. What we need to remember, church, is whenever God calls someone under his kingship to be his people... He does, in effect, call them to fight. He did that with the Israelites when they entered into the Promised Land. If you noticed, he had them in the desert, 40 years, 
the old lot died out, and the new lot were ready. But he wasn't going to say, he wasn't just going to give them the land. They had to do something. They had to fight. Because there were already people there, and they wouldn't take kindly to this new generation coming in saying, well, God has said that you need to move out now. I don't think it happens that way. So they had to fight. Whenever they encountered another nation, they weren't fighting for their people, they were fighting for the glory of God. We as God's people called on the Jesus' kingship are called to battle, to be in a fight for his name, his kingdom, and for his glory. So as part of the kingdom, we are called to fight potentially every day of our lives for the good name of Jesus and to play a part in working with him to progress his kingdom in this world. Again, that's a frightening thought. Every day of your lives, you're going to have to fight now. Every day. I'll just encourage you, church, even if we get to 60, 70, 80, it still won't compare to eternity. Yeah? So fight. In these years that you have to, fight. Because when you finish and you fight the Lord and, you, and he says, good and faithful servant, come into the kingdom, technically you're already in the kingdom, but he's going to say, come, be with me now. The fight would have been worth it. I know with the world wars, they lasted between five and six years, but those guys knew it was worth it. They endured, they took the battle, and they did it. And when they came back home, they, they, they knew. And King David even went to battle and defeat nations. But he wasn't doing it just to defeat the nations. Most of the time, he was just doing it to protect his own. He didn't go out intentionally, oh, I must conquer this place and that place like some of the mad monarchs that we've seen in history. Uh, I hope that's Jesus calling. <laughs> God uses worldly powers and authorities to progress his kingdom. He uses man's ways, disobedience and authorities to progress it and to defeat the enemy, to bring victory for his kingdom. God is a good God and he will only allow things for a set time before he steps in to correct it and make it new for his glory. God's kingdom is constantly under attack from the enemy. We need to be fighting fit. <laughs> oh, we've got a computer problem. Is it... Well, you get the gist. We need to do. We need to be ready. Now, every time, if you, if you've seen a Rocky film, it's got a pretty standard formula, isn't it? Rocky has to fight someone. He's a boxer, so it's a pre-request. But what does he do before he fights the boxer? He trains. One of the key sequences, and it takes about 10, 15 minutes. We don't need to see it, but he makes sure you see it in the film. 10, 15 minutes, and he does all sorts. And because the fighter gets stronger and stronger every time, he has to do something different with his training, doesn't he? If you notice that. So that he's nice and buff, fighting fit, got so much baby oil on him that, <laughs> that the babies would fall off him. But he's, he goes into training, doesn't he? And he's fighting fit before he goes against his opponent. And that's the same with us. We need to be fighting fit, church. We can't afford not to be. There's too much at stake. If not, you may come out looking like 
uh, Rocky Balboa after a fight. You know, the, clothes, the eyes closed and blood all over the place. Anyway, God works out. Yeah, what, the point I'm trying to make is God works. Rocky Balboa has to work his body, and then he has to probably work out in his mind. Fit, you know, be spirit, be mentally ready for the fight, as every boxer does. We, as God's children, need to be spiritually fit. Yeah? Spiritually trained fit. So God works out our hearts and our minds, not our bodies. God looks at our heart's stature, not our physical stature, which is the point he made when he called Samuel and he called David. Because everyone was looking for someone big and burly, and God was looking for someone with a strong heart, not a strong body. We are tasked to fight with our Lord and take back ground and authority for the kingdom of God. Through this, we will see individuals, families, communities, and even countries one for the Lord. Like any army, you get a uniform right for the job. Our uniform is the armor of God, and our weapons are his word, prayer, and his love and mercy. Powerful weapons against the darkness of this world. You are in a war, so dress and act appropriately. Armour is only any good if you wear it. You need to have it on all the time. There's no point leaving it home and then moaning that you got hurt. Armour has to be used right for it to be effective. So if you've been given chest armour, wear it on your chest. Don't have it around your ankles, because it's not built for your ankles, is it? It's chest armour, yeah? yeah? So wear it on your chest. And the same with us. If God says you need all of that armour of God, the word, prayer, this Holy Spirit, use them. Now, I'm not saying you can use the Holy Spirit, the Spirit uses you. But you can talk to him. He can empower you. He can open up things that you can't open. He can even tell you things before they even happen. But it's down to you to talk to him. In the kingdom, we don't attack one another. We need to attack the enemy. Matthew 13, verses 24 to 32. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together unto the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into the mud barn. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. We have to be in the world, but not of it, to progress the kingdom. So we have to be among the world to show it the good news of Jesus. But we must be God's salt and light to show the world his great hope and salvation that Jesus provided to everyone who receives it. 
Let me just make a note on weeds. Weeds aren't a problem until you see them, isn't that right, church? When they're under the ground, it's not a problem. You don't see them, you don't worry about them. The minute they sprout up, there's a problem. But the thing is, the top bit of the weed is not the issue. It's the root underneath that's the problem. And if you can't get rid of the root, you're in big trouble. Your garden lawn, the Falsons effect, is spoiled by that weed. Yeah? You can't get rid of it. No matter what you do to it, it just stays there. We are much the same in the world. And the weeds are the world, and we are the grass. We're the good, we're the good stuff. You are the good stuff, church. Believe me, you are the good stuff. So we just have to bear with it for now. There will be a time when all the weeds will be taken out. But for now, we just need to bear with it. Progress for the kingdom is violent. Oh, I'm behind. As God's forces of light and good engage the forces of evil and darkness to take back what is rightfully his. Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Just to give context on that. I'm not saying go out there and punch someone in the face now and say, this is for the kingdom. Yeah? Please, don't, don't take me out of context on that. All it's saying is, the enemy of darkness is not going to take kindly to the enemy of light coming into its territory. So we will face opposition, and we will need to fight to get what we want. God's kingdom is heavily resisted. But in the end, for any Star Trek fans out there, the Borgs say resistance is futile. And he has ultimate power, strength and victory in his hands. It's only a matter of his timing to fulfill it. Here are four reasons why progress for the kingdom faces opposition, taken from the Seeking the Kingdom New Version Bible plan. We struggle with sins within ourselves because we don't always want to fight. We are involved in aggressive spiritual warfare every minute, I should say every second. If we are not equipped to fight this sort of battle, we will be taken out by the enemy. God's kingdom principles are not the ways of the world, so we're always going to be in conflict with it and the environment around us most of the time. Lastly, the church can sometimes hinder the progress of the kingdom by procrastination, complacency, confusion and ungodliness. Obedience is key in successfully being able to progress the kingdom for God's glory. We see many times in the Bible people who weren't obedient to God or allowed worldly ways to become their authority and everything went to pot or the people of God were defeated. We have the same challenges as the children of God. If we allow worldly things into our hearts or allow the authority of the world to be our authority, we will be defeated and have less impact for the kingdom. Again, let me give context on that. The only time that we would not obey the laws of the land is when the laws of the land go against the laws of God. So all I'm saying is, you still have to pay your car insurance. You can't just say, well, God provides. Yes, he provides you the money to pay the car insurance. You can't break the law. God wanted laws, God gave laws. You still have to obey the law. But if the law goes against what we believe, what we understand that Jesus tells us to follow, that's when we will go against the law of the land. I don't want to be start developing criminals at a lighthouse church and they say, well, Colin preached it, it's all right. No. 
Only by remaining, learning, and focusing on the kingdom of God will we learn to make a stand for Jesus, which strengthens us and those who seek it with us and ensures we work with God to increase his kingdom. The Bible is filled with stories of kings and kingdoms. More importantly, it shows the king of kings and his great eternal kingdom, which still stands today, will never pass away and grow stronger generation to generation. God's kingdom has the ultimate authority. The king of kings is the one who decides whoever rules in our world. No one else has that authority. Daniel 2, verses 19 to 22. To give context of what what this scripture is about, this is a story of Daniel. Daniel was a young man, uh, one of the Israelites, and the Babylonians completely wiped them out, took the royal family, and took the best of the country. And Daniel, some might say, was one of the lucky ones that was taken into the king. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, always used to take the best resources and he would, take, uh, he would educate them. He would give them time to get to know their ways, educate them, and then use them for his purposes. So there came Nebuchadnezzar. For me, I believe Nebuchadnezzar was used by God. God definitely spoke to Nebuchadnezzar because the stuff that he says, the stuff that he does, God was definitely talking to him. So obviously God had installed him for a reason. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And... The king was very troubled by this dream. That was from what I spoke about before, about the image that was of one person split into four pieces, but no one could interpret the dream. All of his um, soothsayers, magicians, none of them could predict it. But then Daniel, an order went out across the land that if no one could interpret the dream, he would kill all of them, which would include Daniel. So Daniel went, that's where, that's where we're picking up the story from, and he's prayed to God with the other three. The other three young men were Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Those are the three guys that got chucked into the furnace. So those four were the only Jews that were in Babylon at that time. So picking up the story, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Those in the kingdom are not only able to see the mysteries of God, but to understand and apply what has been revealed to us by his spirit. We see this in prophetic words, teachings, dreams, visions, and interpretations given by the Holy Spirit. This keeps us humble and in step with God. What are the benefits of being part of his kingdom? As the kingdom continues to break out, we enjoy more of the blessings God's kingship and authority brings, such as God's power over sin and evil in our lives and others. The kingship of God has facilitated the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows and exhibits the dynamic power of the kingdom of God and empowers us to live a God-fearing life to glorify his name. Only those born of the Spirit who have given their hearts and allegiance forever to the one true God can see and dwell in the kingdom of God. Romans 14, verse 17 to 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God 
and approved by men. Now, Romans is well after Daniel. But if we see in the Bible, so many people have been called because they've been approved by men. My first one I can remember is Joseph. Joseph, who was imprisoned, but then he was called. In a similar situation to Daniel, needed an interpretation of a dream, but then he was elevated to be prime minister. But what we see, the outcome of that is, it wasn't the fact that he was made prime minister that was the issue. It's that God put him in that place so that he would save what would become the Israelites. Because there was a famine, they would have been wiped out. But because he was where he was and he was allowed to give them the food that they needed, the nation survived. And the same for us. We do need to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. We need to listen. Because we may be the one that God uses to speak to that person who doesn't commit suicide, who doesn't go into a a relationship that they shouldn't go into. If we don't speak when God tells us to speak, sometimes someone will suffer. You have a responsibility, church. If God tells you to do something, you must do it. Everyone in the kingdom has accepted God's salvation for his grace towards us. There is no other way into the kingdom. John 10, verse 9 to 11 and 16. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will, he will be saved and will go into and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Those who seek first the kingdom of God will receive God's counsel and strength in all things great and small. Jesus wants us to understand his, how his kinship works and how those under his kinship should act. He stresses this in many parables, one after the other, in Matthew 13. But we're going to look at Psalm 103. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Those in God's kingdom will not face his wrath on Jesus' return. It will be a struggle and a great commitment for us, but our efforts will be rewarded and we will be blessed for our obedience and faithfulness towards God. God's kingdom focuses our lifestyle and thinking on the life to come, and more importantly, the great God we serve. A quote from Jonathan Edwards. If our lives be not a journey towards heaven, they will be a journey to hell. Pretty harsh words, but it is the truth. If you're not kingdom-focused, you won't be heaven-focused. The kingdom is a place of sanctuary for those who believe in Jesus. It brings hope for those God brings into it. He gives them authority and blessings to be a part of his kingdom. There's a great joy in this, and we feel a part of belonging to something with purpose for his kingdom. And God shares his kingdom with his family. We become citizens of heaven and children of God. The power of God dwells and inhabits the people of his kingdom. His kingdom is a place of restoration. It changes environments and hearts. It's transforming, redeeming, restoring. For our greatest prize is being in the presence of God, knowing God, serving God, loving God. His kingdom represents him, the Lord our God. It reflects his authority and his power over all things. It reflects him as creator, 
and we as his creation and reflect something new, something that will never end, something that can never be taken away. It is eternal and it is just. But we need to know that the kingdom of God is about character, courage and integrity. We see this shown through the book of Daniel. Daniel was a captive in the kingdom of Babylon, the most powerful nation at that time. He and three others, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, stood up for the kingdom of God. Even though the Babylonian kingdom was the overwhelming power in the world, God's kingdom was still the ultimate authority and the ultimate kingdom at play. So much so that the king of that time even acknowledged the power of God and the power of God's authority and lifted up Daniel and those three young men to heights that they never imagined because they were courageous and held their integrity for the kingdom of God. Daniel chapter 4 verses 1 to 3. This is King, king Nebi as I've been uh, going through the Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar. To all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So as I said, this is the Babylonian king. Now this man in, in uh, Christian talk is a heathen. He's not a believer. He has idols. He has many gods he believes in because every nation that he creates he just takes on their gods and their idols. And yet, he's talk- this is our God he's talking about. The most high God. This is the king of all the lands who has absolutely obliterated every nation that he's come across. Yet he's learned. Now this is chapter 4. Chapter 1 is Daniel that we spoke about before, about the dream. Yeah? Then there was another challenge where Daniel had to step up. But King Nebuchadnezzar is acknowledging now, I think, yeah, by this time the three young men have been chucked into the fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar has seen wonders. He's seen Daniel interpret the dream. He's seen those three young men thrown into the fire. I haven't got time to go into that story, but if you read the story in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fire because they would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. He called everyone to bow down to it, and they would not bow down. So he bound them, made the the furnace seven times hotter than it normally is, so hot that the people that chucked those three young men into the pit were consumed, That's how hot it was. And then, yet, those three stepped out. But what King Bukhara says, he was sitting on his throne, and then all of a sudden he he bolts upright and he says, that's not right. There's four. I see four in the furnace. And the the fourth one is like a son son of God. Now, most interpretations will tell you that the fourth person was probably Jesus. And he had unbound the three young men, and what King, what King Nebuchadnezzar then does is he calls out the three young men and they come out. There's no smoke. You know, like if you're having a barbecue, you smell like smoke. Nothing singed. They're unbound. They were bound. They're unbound. They come out. And even then, King Nebuchadnezzar starts saying, you truly do serve the Most High God. So that's the context. By chapter 4, he's seen the works of God. And he's acknowledging that now. Kingdom thinking helps us prioritise and guide our hearts in what we need to do. 
It helps us to keep pride out of our hearts and keep us humble. As one Bible interpreter puts it, the gospel was geared to keep us humble and to keep us God-focused. King Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, going back to King Nebuchadnezzar, he had a wake-up call. Because just before then, he's acknowledging the Most High God. And he's actually saying, well, I have what I have because of what this God has given me. But then one day, I think he gets, he gets a dream, and Daniel interprets it, and he says, you're going to suffer for seven seasons. They're not clear about how long it is. Seven seasons, and you're going to lose this kingdom. And the king says, okay, hopefully that won't happen. But he's in his gardens, the same gardens now, I think they call them the Babylonian gardens, the gardens of the hanging, the hanging gardens. That's where he was. But then he was in his head saying, oh, how great this kingdom is that I've built and how good I've done to, to gain all this. And the minute he says that, a voice from heaven says, on this day you will lose your kingdom. And he literally, he loses it. He loses his mind. He loses everything. And for seven seasons, he stays that way. Until the man utters out of his mouth, all of this is because of the Most High God. And everything was returned to him. That was pride that was at work there. That's why we've got to be careful. Don't allow pride to get into your hearts. When you do, and you can keep pride out of your hearts, that will keep you humble. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. A quote from Seek Ye First, the Kingdom of God, your version Bible plan. Before you execute, seek God. Again, I'll give context to that. That's not meaning get a gun and shoot someone. It means that before you go on anything that you task to yourself to do, seek God. Inquire of him. Ask him, God, is this what you want me to do? Before you do anything, that's the first line of defense. Seek God. Many people in the Bible have fallen through pride and we have to guard our hearts against it to avoid falling into its trap. Learning humility, grace and patience and striving for the righteousness of God. We receive our king's leadership, wisdom and skills by serving him and train others in using them as well. We receive honour and responsibilities from God who has set us apart for his kingdom purposes. He promotes us to greater positions and privileges we could never gain in our own strength. What responsibilities do we have as part of God's kingdom? Believers are tasked as the community of God to live out and teach about the principles of his kingdom. We entered into this when we accepted God's gracious gift of salvation and submitted ourselves to God's will and authority. Jesus stresses to us that we should not just listen or learn about his kingdom, but we must also put it into practice. The church must witness about the kingdom of God sharing the good news that he brings to others as Jesus commanded his disciples. The church is used by God to progress and spread his kingdom here on earth throughout the ages. The people of God know they are tasked to seek, sow, and help help grow seed for the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in their lives and in the lives of those around them. We are tasked with having an impact for the kingdom. Wherever we go, So Jesus' kingship can spread even further and change even more lives for God's glory.
The kingship of God requires us to have a change of mindset. We learn to start and strive to serve God and make sacrifices for him and for others for his glory. Hebrews 13 verses 14 to 16. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. There is always a personal response to his kingship. We must make the decision to follow and obey God's kingdom principles. We may have to face or go through some situations alone to make a stand for his glory. Daniel is an example of this. Those in the kingdom will make a stand to see God's authority as the ultimate authority in their life, not man's authority. We are called to live and follow under the authority God has put over us unless it's contrary to God's authority and teachings. In some cases, there will be conflict between the law of the land and what we called to follow for Jesus' name. Romans 12 covers many aspects of kingdom living. We'll quickly go through these. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We dwell in God's kingdom and fall under his kingship, so we must become a living sacrifice for him. It is our act of spiritual worship. Romans 12, verses 4 to 6. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same functions, so we, through men, so we though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We all have a part to play for his kingdom. No one is left out or ever made redundant. Finally, Romans 12, 9, verse, verses 9 to 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haunty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will praise, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. To be a part of his kingdom, we must be loving, humble, merciful and gracious as he is to us and others who do not deserve to be shown his favour, but he does according to his great will, grace, mercies towards us. We need to be zealous for God's kingdom and will to be in our lives and the lives of others for God's pleasure. We as the people of God's kingdom acknowledge what God has done for us and what he has saved us from, but we have a responsibility to steward the blessings and riches of God and the salvation he has provided for us. So in conclusion, we must remember how important the kingdom is to Jesus.
It was a key theme he spoke about. His parables, stories and miracles reflected the kingdom. If the kingdom of God was important to Jesus, how much more so for us that represent it? How can God's people, you the church, see the kingdom of God through us? Paul gives us some guidelines in Romans 15, verses 18 to 19. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrim, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So just change the word Gentile to the world. That can be you. That's Paul's words, encouraging a church. But you can do the same. If all you're doing is speaking about Christ, you're walking in obedience, you're doing the word and deed, the power of signs and wonders will come. Yeah? Now, I'm not saying you guys are going to be healing people on the streets. But just, you know, if you want to heal people on the streets, you can do that. That's up to you, if God wants to do that. What I'm saying is, whatever you commit to the Lord, you do it joyfully. You don't know the fruit that you're producing just by walking and following the name of Jesus. Yeah? Doors are opened in people's hearts and lives when you just obediently walk with God. We don't understand how it works, nor should we. But if we're faithful, God is faithful. And he works through many... What we have to stress, what I have to stress to myself as well, God uses the foolishness of man to use his purposes. So he never does it how we think he's going to do it. He does it according to what he wants to do. All you have to do is be in the right place at the right time and do what he says, God will do the rest. We need to keep in mind the mission of the kingdom. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me. Believe in me and obey my words. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. A quote from C.S. Lewis. The voice of God indeed daily calls to us, calls to the world to abandon sins and seek the kingdom of God wholeheartedly. Oh, that we may all hear the call of the Father and sometime, at last, be converted to the Lord. That's our challenge. If we can hear God calling the world, we need to go out and see what God's going to do. I think the key thing we need to ask ourselves as believers is what part can we play to progress his kingdom? I think once we know, we can adjust our position and our thinking towards the goal and fulfill what God wants us to do to progress his kingdom. I encourage you, church, for us to challenge ourselves to ask God, are we kingdom-focused? Do you understand your responsibilities in this? And what can we do for the kingdom and to seek more of his kingship in this world and encourage others to be a part of his kingdom? In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've called us into your kingdom. We thank you it's only by your kingdom works that we are saved, we are being sanctified, and one day we will be in your presence, completely in your presence, and all authority will be under you. Until that time happens, we pray, Lord, you guide us. Guide us to your kingdom purposes, your kingdom works, and show us what you want us to do. Lord, even when we are challenged, let us be like Daniel and stand for the kingdom of God, that your authority is seen 
by the man and the world as the ultimate authority and that your kingdom will continue to keep going and expanding by your grace and mercy. In Jesus' precious name, amen.